Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Matthew Sidney. And you are listening to Walking the Unnamed Path. On this podcast, we discuss the teachings and techniques given to us by the ancestors and laid out by our late founder, Hyperion. We also touch on topics and ideas pertaining to queer pagan men in general. We're glad you've decided to join us. We hope you'll be part of the show. If you're listening live, you can chat with us and be part of the conversation by calling 347 308 8222. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at walking underscore the UP or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash walking the unnamed path. Uh, today I'm very excited to interview a dear friend of mine and someone from whom I've certainly learned a lot about spiritual practice in general, Thomas Deusa. Thomas is a 32nd degree Scottish Rite Freemason and a longtime student of esoteric Masonic symbolism. He is an initiate of the Golden Dawn and of the Afro-Caribbean traditions of Espiritismo, Sansei, and of 21 divisions. He is a half-initiate of Palomonte and of Santeria. He is known in his community for his deep knowledge of brujeria, folk magic, and of numerous threads of the Western mystery tradition, including, but not limited to, Wicca, Hermeticism, Western ritual magic, and the Western grimoire tradition. His approach to spirit work is informed by both his Thai heritage and his longtime relationship with the Afro-Caribbean religions. His deep knowledge of Anglo traditions has suited him well as a liaison between the sometimes conflicting perspectives of English-based systems such as Wicca and Druidry and Spanish-based systems such as Santeria. Under the pen name of Constantine Alexandre, he is the co-author of the occult fiction series Shadowwood Chronicles. He's currently working on his first nonfiction publication, for the instruction of spiritual seekers set for publication spring 2018. And let's bring Tom on the air with us. Tom, how are you doing today? Good afternoon, Matthew. I'm doing extremely well. Well, I'm getting, I'm getting over a sinus infection, but other than that, I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> Um, I'm good, uh, getting over a flu, so we can, you know, we can <laughs> cough and hack our way through the next hour together. Lovely, lovely. Look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before, um, before I put you on the spot, I did want to share with our listeners, um, exactly why I was inspired to invite you onto the show and sort of frame things a little bit. Uh, the Unnamed Path, for those of our listeners who may be new, 
is an initiatory shamanic system that recognizes the unique place that queer men have. Those whom our spirits mm-hmm. actually call men who love men have as healers and mediums. And You know, I, I think it's important to remember, and I keep saying, Sunday Path is not a religion, um, although there are deities attached to that, that we work with in the path. Um, it's it's mm-hmm. really much more of a craft. And everyone who comes to this tradition has a different background. So there yeah. are initiates yeah. who are Wiccan and, and Druid and, and many other uh, traditions. And I feel that part of our purpose is not only to talk about our emerging tradition, but also to support the spirit work of other queer men, other men who love men, so that we can learn from each other and help us progress. Um, That being said, Tom, will you share with us some of your spiritual background? How did you find yourself where you are now? Hmm. That's... (laughs) That's a very interesting uh, loaded question, Matthew. <laughs> well, I, you know, I always front loads at the heart first. You know, that's the big no, no, that's, that's great. No, it's absolutely great. Uh, you know, my my mother's from Thailand. I think, as you said in in the uh, introduction, you know about my Thai heritage. Uh, my father is uh, his ancestry goes back to Spain, and also to to Italy. So I had this unique dichotomy growing up in my family um you know my mother being buddhist thai buddhist their uh their base is actually spiritualism and mediumship and working with the dead and propitiating the ancestors and calling upon the ancestors for assistance in daily life whereas on my dad's side of the family you know a good portion of them are are catholic uh, Roman Catholic that trace their ancestry through the Catholic religion back to the Middle Ages, and then the other part is uh, of his family is is um, holiness. But with my father, it was I was in a very unique position, I would say, growing up, uh, because <clears throat> my parents did not force any particular path, any particular tradition, any particular religion. <clears throat> Excuse me. On my siblings and I, they, you know, would share with us their beliefs, you know, and of course we have our unique family traditions uh, that we follow, but ultimately it was up to us to decide what we wanted to worship, how we wanted to worship, and um, basically they encouraged us to find our own path to divinity, not to God, but to divinity, to find something that was greater than us. So, taking advantage of that, I kind of did the the full gamut. You know, most um, I would say most most guys, especially as they're, they're entering into their their teen years, you know, that's when you really begin exploration. That's when you really begin to question the world and and uh, kind of take a different <clears throat> view on life because it's your first chance. You know, it's your first taste of adulthood. You're you're going through changes and. You really feel as if you know there's something more than 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 what you've been taught, and of course with that comes a uh, <clears throat> you know your typical rebellious streak. 
for me, my rebellious streak wasn't so much, you know, going out partying and everything. It was, you know, going against organized Christian religion, which made half of my dad's family extremely proud. (laughs) So I did what most kids did. You know, I went into tarot. I went into uh, tarot cards and learned about tarot cards. I went into New Age shops. I, I literally bought a library full of every every magical traditional book that I could find to kind of find my place in this world. And I started with Wicca, and then I moved into Golden Dawn, and then I moved into Hermeticism and Western mysticism and ceremonial magic and and, uh, all of those types of things. And I would say that that was my foundation up until I went to college. And of course, you know, with uh, with my mother being a medium, you know, I in, I inherited that gift. So that was also a part of my practice that I never never put aside. I was always honoring my ancestors in my own way. I was always working with my guides. I was always <clears throat> providing um, spiritual service, you know, to my friends, but most importantly to my spirits, because for me that is my my foundation even today. But it wasn't until college that, you know, I began to meet other people from other traditions, from other cultures, if you will. And that was my uh, pretty much my introduction into the Afro-Caribbean tradition. And uh, when I began to learn about the Afro-Caribbean traditions, it kind of made my blood boil. It was, it was that, that sense of this is where I belong, this is home for me. And I haven't looked back since. Now... Afro-Caribbean traditions, it's a very broad umbrella. So mm-hmm. if you would indulge me in a little disambiguation. Um, <laughs> so I'll, 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 break, I'll break down some of the, the paths that have been mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. how, would, what is, how would you explain Espiritismo okay. to a gringo? That's a, and that's, that's a very good place to start. Espiritismo is basically the Spanish version if you will, of spiritualism, of um, spirit work and spirit contact. However, Espiritismo is also the foundation for most practitioners, well, I would say for every practitioner of of an initiatory African uh, religious tradition because every Espiritismo is a medium, but not every medium is is a priest, if you will. In the practices of Espiritismo, we have a, an altar that is set aside and dedicated solely for the use of our ancestors and our guides and those spirits who walk with us, aid and assist us in what we do. <clears throat> what we do is we attend to this altar you know, on a daily basis and we refresh it on a weekly basis. In the name of this altar is a bovada. So if you ever go into some Spanish people's homes and you see a little area set aside that has a table that's covered in white and has either um, seven or nine glasses of water, you know that that person is a, is a spiritualist, is an espiritista. <coughs> Excuse me. And upon that altar, for each of those glasses, each of those glasses do have a representation, the largest one being for God or for deity or for you know, who you worship, that is, you know, the the greatest of all, the one that is the all-encompassing one, ancient of days. We have very many names 
for the source of divinity. So usually the largest glass upon that altar is dedicated to God, if you will. And then either the sixth or the seven, um, I'm sorry, the sixth or the eight remaining glasses will be dedicated to different groups of your spiritual, what we call a spiritual court. So the belief in Espiritismo is everyone, we believe in reincarnation. We believe that everyone is born basically with a court, with a, with a, a community, if you will, of spirits who have agreed to accompany you through your incarnation. And within that court is your principal guide. And then you have like your other guides that specialize in different areas of life. And then you have your ancestors. You have your ancestors of blood, and you have your ancestors of spirit, and you have your ancestors of initiation. So the ancestors of spirit would be those those spirits who resonate with you according to your energies, you know, like attracts like, as we know. So if you're somebody who has a good disposition or predominantly a good disposition or you predominantly study a certain philosophy, you tend to attract those types of spirits. If you're a person who tends to be negative and, you know, you're, you're constantly looking, you know, for negative situations and circumstances to evolve, just as like attract like, like attracts like, you will also attract them to you through that course, negative spirits who resonate at that level of vibrational energy. The purpose of the Bovida <clears throat> is to provide elevation to our spirits, to honor our spirits our guides, and our ancestors. And it basically becomes that one place that you go to that belongs to them, that gives them a portal into your home. And over time, the spiritual resonance occurs within your home and the spiritual link occurs between you, spiritual court, you and all of your guides, to where the more that you begin to work with them, the more that you begin to pray to them and call upon them, and offer them candles and incense and, and the different offerings that you would see in many spiritual traditions. <clears throat> the more deeply, uh, excuse me, the more deeply cemented you become, if you will, it's it's uh, it brings you into balance in in so many different ways. And we say that out of all of our traditions, especially in the Afro-Caribbean traditions, we sh- we say that on all of our practices. Espiritismo is is the foundation because our spirits are going to respond to us so much faster than anyone else will. And we say that our ancestors, or as we call them, our egun, are the foundation of ocha. So we cannot have ocha, which is santeria, and we'll talk about that later. We cannot have ocha without egun, meaning without the blessings of the dead, we cannot have the blessings of the Orisha. Hmm. <clears throat> and so along that, uh, as you go along, do you want to talk about Santeria next? Um, you know what? Let's, let's do this. Um, so... Along the well, we'll we'll do this in, in, a, in a tiered system that will lead to Ocha, because <laughs> that's pretty much okay. the steps that we that we pretty much take. You know, I'm most good people who come into um, okay, most people who come into a traditional African religion, whether it is Centuria, whether it is Voodoo, Obe, uh, Obeya, 
Kendomble all of the different traditions that have um, African roots. The one commonality that they have is they all do Egon worship. They all have some form of a bovada or some form of uh, ancestral reverence, ancestral reveration. Because, as I said, every priest is a medium. And the reason that's very important for us is no matter what path we decide to walk in life, you know, if I wanted to continue to have been a Catholic or a Buddhist or a Wiccan or any of the traditions that that I've been involved with, no matter what path I decide to go in life, as long as I maintain that relationship with my egun, my life will be a life of balance. It doesn't mean that I'm guaranteed a perfect life or a life that is free of difficulties. It means that I will have a life that will flow much more smoothly because I'm actually following the destiny and the, the calling particular lifetime. So they aid, assist, guide, support, provide influence on our behalf to help assist us in making the best possible outcome out of every situation occur for us. <clears throat> So as you have a, a firm foundation within a spiritismo, then as you become to know, as you become familiarized with your guides, we have guides from just about every tradition who walk with us. So that means different religions, different spiritual practices. But of course, you know, a, a good portion of, of many practitioner spirits are of the African religions. So being a medium, you become close with some of your spirits, and you're going to have a spirit that practice in life a particular path. So I have a spirit who was a priestess of, of Ocha, a priestess of Santeria. <clears throat> I have a guide who was a palero, a practitioner of Palomonte, uh, Palamayombe. I have a guide who was a practitioner of Sanse, which is um, which is kind of like the Puerto Rican style of spiritualist voodoo, you know, it's uh, it's um, voodoo without the blood. <laughs> you, I have a guide who is an initiate in life of 21 divisions, which is the Dominican branch. <clears throat> Excuse me, which is the Dominican branch of voodoo, and you have a path that is with and without the blood. But most people that know 21 divisions, it's there's blood that is shed for for that particular path. So out of all of these different guides who walk with me, because they comprise these different areas of of worship and, and, and um, specialty, it puts me on the path to initiate into each one of those so that I can have a firmer, we say um, a firmer ache or <clears throat> to give them place or foundation in our lives so that they can work for us even more powerfully. But it's very important to understand that not everyone is meant to have, not everyone is meant to initiate into any one of these traditions because there is a um, there there is a consultation with the spirits before you go through any any of these uh, practices, and it will be according to the tradition. So, if somebody, for instance, um, wants to join Sanse, there's usually a consultation with a Sansista, a priest of Sanse. And they will go before they will call their spirits down, and you will really, it really comes down to the the spirits of that house, if you will, of that tradition, 
that determine whether or not you have permission to initiate into that particular path. Because the spirits will know mm-hmm. that if, if you have an interest in Sanse, they will know whether or not Sanse is a good fit for you based upon your spiritual character, based upon your spiritual laws, based upon your spiritual destiny. It doesn't mean that they won't help you if you come to them, but it doesn't mean that you need to initiate unto them as a priest or priestess. Mm-hmm. They will still give their aid and support, but they know that to lend you their energies through the act of initiation will in some ways damage your spiritual essence because it's something that can be overwhelming. It's it's an overwhelming power. It's an overwhelming connection, and it's not for everybody. So for some people, if they initiate into the wrong path without going through the formal process of consultation and petition, it will actually throw their lives out of balance because the spirits are not for them or the energies of that particular path are not for them, if you will. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It, it makes sense to me, yeah. Okay. Now, as I said, there it's kind of like a tiered system. I went through basically the spiritual aspects of it. So I could say at the bottom of the pyramid would be a spiritismo. That's your spiritualism, your your ancestors, your egun, all of your guides, or what I like to call my people. And then the next step up would be another spiritual tradition. So more than likely it would be something like Sansei. If you can go into Sansei, you would, you would become a Sansista. And a lot of these practices build off of Espiritismo. So a lot of the practices blend in one to another, okay? With mm. Sansei, you have spirits in Sansei who specifically work in Sansei. But in order to work them, you have to have a certain level of spiritual development and your mediumship to recognize who they are, to recognize them when you see them, recognize them when you hear them, recognize them when they appear before you. So without your mediumship training, it makes it a little difficult to properly work that system unless you have some groundwork or some frame of reference to go by. Because some of the mm-hmm. basic traditions of Sansei is also maintaining your ancestors and your spirit. <clears throat> However, the unique thing about Sansei is when it comes to the hierarchy, you know, in, in all of these traditions, you have a godparent who is responsible for you. What makes Sansei unique is you have a godparent who will take you through your initiation, and basically it's, it's kind of like a degree system that's done in, in, in a certain manner so that it raises your energies and your attunements through a series of degrees, like, like very similar to, to Freemasonry, if you will. One layer is removed and you see something new for the first time. Another layer is removed and receives even more insight and even more light and, and knowledge and education. But what Sansei is in a spiritual manner so that the overwhelming influence and essence of that spiritual power that comes and cements within your life and within your body even is not as overwhelming when you step it in a series of degrees. But the one unique thing about Sansei is even though you have a godfather or a godmother who do the initiation, after that point, it is the spirits of that house, the spirits of that tradition who will teach you and guide you and instruct you personally in your development. And the only time you would go to your godparent is if you had a question 
if something, you know, is a little bit confusing or, or if you feel like you're getting a message or you feel like you're being guided to maybe serve your spirit a certain way, the elders are always there to help you answer questions. They'll lay the groundwork, but really it's all about developing a personal, intimate relationship with your spiritual court and with the spirits that that uh, serve something. And a lot mm-hmm. of those are hidden behind references of Catholic saints. So that's a key point. You want to remember that. A lot of the spirits of Sansei <clears throat> are synchronized with Catholic saints. After Sansei, a lot of people will go into either 21 divisions, which is, you know, as we said, the Dominican form of voodoo, or they'll go into one of the other uh, as we call them, ATRs, African traditional religions, which would be Santeria, Opia, Candomblé. <clears throat> Depending on their their um, spiritual purpose or their spiritual calling. With 21 divisions, a lot of people feel comfortable stopping at 21 divisions because either A, it's part of their heritage, it's a very Dominican it's a very, very Dominican thing. <laughs> um, but for a lot of people that I know, a lot of people stop at 21 divisions because that's as high as they need to go or, or that's just the path that they need to, to stay on. They don't need anything in addition to what they're already mm-hmm. doing because the spirits of 21 division are very aggressive, they're very protective, and they're very fast-acting. And again, these are spirits that are hidden behind Catholic saints. However, the initiation system into 21 Divisions, if you go further than 21 Divisions, is your first introduction into animal sacrifice because there is no life without the shedding of blood. And unfortunately, there are certain spirits that have a certain energy and have a certain power to them. And the reason they have that power is because they're offered life on certain circumstances in exchange for their service. And that's what you find in 21 Divisions and, and along with the other uh, African um, <clears throat> African traditions. There will always be the spilling of blood during initiation because there is no life without blood. And it's as we say, <clears throat> to offer the blood is, is to feed the life force to that spirit to uh, reinforce them. And also to basically initiate the contract between the practitioner and the spirit. So from that point forward, through the act of that initiation, through the shedding of that blood, they know that a pact has been formed in blood, that if I take care of my spirits, my spirits must take care of me. So with my past, I went through all of those, <laughs> and then I went straight into Ocha. So, or I'm sorry, I went into Palo, Palo Monte, Panamayombe, which is uh, it's very similar to Santeria, but it's based upon the, the Congo people rather than the um, Yoruban peoples, the Yoruban tribe. A lot mm-hmm. of their, their deities and a lot of their, their spirits <clears throat> are identical, but they have different names and they have different purposes. Practitioners of Palo, they're called Paleros. They work very predominantly with the dead. 
uh, there's a contract that is created with the dead, with one particular spirit that is that is basically <clears throat> acquired and brought into your into your life through certain means. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that spirit will be the primary spirit that you go through in that practice for everything. You have an issue at work. You have an issue at home. You need something to happen. You're short on rent. Whatever your issue is, you go to your spirit and they help you. In Paulo, you go to your spirit and you tell this spirit, him or her, what's going on. You give him a little candle, you give him some rum, some coffee, and they take care of things for you very, very quickly. However, <clears throat> Palomonte and Palomayombe are known through ignorance. I would say through ignorance of people who really don't understand the religion as the dark side of Santeria. And the reason they say that is because the spirits of Paulo will curse you and destroy you as quickly as they will bless you and lift you up. And it's a very it's a very uh, personal thing because the spirits of Paulo, the one that, that walks with you, does the, um, does the will of the priest he's assigned to. <clears throat> so the priest has a responsibility to that spirit. He can use that spirit for good and to help, you know, bring healing and resolution and uh, <clears throat> open doors and help people get, you know, to get further in life because maybe they're stuck a little bit. <clears throat> and that spirit will work for them and help make good things happen. But that priest could also, maybe out of jealousy or pure ignorance or pure hatred, want to cause harm or destruction in somebody's life. <clears throat> and that same spirit will go and cause harm and destruction in somebody's life. However, there is a reckoning. And we say that on the day of judgment. We say that on the day that we pass over and we review our life and we're standing before the courts of, of, of divinity that we are held accountable for the progress of that spirit because just as they serve us, we serve them. And by elevating our spirits, the way that we elevate our spirits is by offering them prayers and helping, and by sending them to do good deeds to help people, you know, to receive blessings and to put their lives back into balance. That form of spiritual work will elevate that spirit so that that spirit can progress and go even further. <clears throat> that makes sense? Yes. Okay. That does make sense. And okay. I, have, I have a couple questions. Um, mm -hmm. One, um, uh, you didn't you did not grow up in um, an Afro Caribbean cultural environment. Um, mm -hmm. Did you did you and when you discovered these paths, did you have any resistance to? Um, the animal sacrifice, was that a hard thing for you to um, <clears throat> accept at first? Did you find yourself coming to the table with any biases, the kinds of biases I'm sure a lot of people have? Mm -hmm. I absolutely did. I absolutely did. You know, it's it's kind of like, <clears throat> it's kind of like, um, like when I have somebody who will come to me for a consultation, 
and everything in their life, anything that can go wrong is going wrong in their life because of, you know, whatever reason or because of of a jealous ex who's put witchcraft on them, if you will, because that, that does happen a lot, unfortunately. So somebody has a spiritual influence that's, pre- that's preventing them from moving forward. Let's say that. And we'll do a consultation, and then the spirits will send them for a cleansing, or the spirit will say, okay, uh, I can lift this, but I have to do a cleansing for this person. That's fine. However, there there are times that in order to lift certain types of destruction, certain types of negativity, a cleansing, the most the most common cleansing that, that that's done is with a chicken usually. Um, and and wherein the the chicken is is fed or or the chicken is sacrificed to one of the orishas, if you will, or one of the spirits. There will be times when that will be necessary. For me, when I first came into this religion, I remember sitting down with you know different practitioners and <clears throat> you know and they they all had like these lives of 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 balance. It's like you know they were very. <clears throat> they were just very established, firmly rooted and established in their lives. And even though different ones had difficulties with different things, they all had one thing in common. And that one thing in common was no matter what happens, it's going to be fine. No matter what happens, it's going to be all right. They had this unwavering faith that no matter how bad life got for them, somehow it was going to be okay in the long run. And I remember, you know, sitting down with these people and hearing all of these wonderful miracle stories about how, <clears throat> you know, the spirits healed them from cancer, healed them from HIV, healed them from all of these, you know, incurable diseases, how they were out in the streets at one point in their life, and then a system of of blessings came their way, one after another, after another, after another, that enabled them to get a car, a house, you know, a, a better life. <clears throat> so naturally, you want to know, you want to know more about a system that's able to help you resolve your issues in a, in a, in a, in an effective manner. When I sat down and began to hear these stories and I began to ask myself, is this something that, that I wanted to be a part of? You know, as I said, the my spirit, that's because it's where I belong, my spiritual force has gathered behind me and very strongly pushed me through that door. Hmm. However, when it came to the time of sacrifice, when it came time for my first initiation, I think like most people, you know, when, when you have an initiatory system, you don't know what's waiting for you. You don't know what's going to happen. <clears throat> All you know is you have this, this, this being, you know, you have this, this sense of, oh, okay, well, there's going to be, <laughs> do I have to kill something? Are they going to kill something? Do I have to drink its <laughs> blood? Do I have to bathe in its blood? Am I going to be naked? Do I really know these people? <laughs> you know, you start to have these doubts like, you know, five years isn't a long time to know somebody. After five years, do I really know this person? Is this somebody who, who I'm going to trust to, like, you know, take me into this religion? And I remember my, my first ceremony, my first initiation. It was it was both nerve-wracking and both exhilarating at the same time. And... um there was a a uh, a sacrifice that was performed <clears throat> with uh with a chicken for my my entrance into Santeria. And 
the one thing that I noticed during the ceremony is how they treat the animals and uh, the way that they, they treat their the animals that are waiting for sacrifice is they feed them, they bathe them, they care for them. You know, there's a great deal of respect that goes into that animal because that animal is taking your place. That animal mm. is, is basically offering its life for you. So my first initiation was like a baptism, if you will, into Santeria. My old life was no more, and my new life had just begun. So the chicken represented my old life took away all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the bad luck, all of the things that had kept me from moving forward was absorbed, spiritually absorbed into the chicken as a substitute for me, kind of like how Christ was a substitute sacrifice for mankind. Mm -hmm. And through the shedding of that chicken's blood, offering its life force on my behalf, I received the cleansing and the rebirth, if you will. But as I said, they they take very good, uh, they're very respectful with the treatment of the animals because they recognize that the animal is a sacred being. And they recognize that we only shed blood when it's in, when it's necessary. <clears throat> and people have this misconception that in Santeria we kill chickens every day, and that's just not the case. The only time that you ever see the sacrifice of blood in Santeria is when you're going through an initiation, of which there were three major initiations. Or in the case of something severe to where you need a physical cleansing, or I'm sorry, if you need a spiritual cleansing, and there's usually the offering of blood for that. But that's it. That's it. But the manner in which they they perform the sacrifice is very swift and very humane. And I would say it's probably more humane than the way that animals are slaughtered for packaging for our food. For those of us, mm. because mm-hmm. there is a great care, uh, there is a great deal of care, and they are so skilled with with the way that they offer the sacrifice that it's it's just remarkable how swiftly they can offer the blood. But one thing I've also noticed, you know, believe it or not, the one thing I've noticed about these these moments of sacrifice is these animals are completely calm. You can grab a chicken or grab a rooster, you know, and and they're going to, you know, be loud and and peck and cluck and everything. But the moment you bring them into the ritual room, they're quiet, they're docile, and they're calm. Oh, wow. Completely completely calm. There's a spiritual energy and the spiritual essence that takes over and brings peace to everyone within the room. And I feel that the animals feel that as well. Hmm. But That's very to answer your question, it to answer your question, it was uh it was unnerving for me when I went through my my first uh when I went through my first sacrifice. It was a little bit unnerving for me because it's not something that I was used to. You know, had had my mother been Hindu, then probably, you know, I would have been more used to it because I do have friends who are Hindu that, that have their yearly sacrifices. That mm-hmm. offer yearly sacrifices. I have friends who are, um, 
I don't remember the sect of Judaism, but they do yearly sacrifices. You know, so I do have friends that belong to some of these other religions that do deal with the shedding of blood. <clears throat> but I was never invited to, to like, you know, watch one of their ceremonies to see what it was all about, you know. But out of all of these people, not one of them would I ever suspect of being a serial killer or being homicidal or being crazy or, or anything like that. They're just, I would consider them like normal people. Other than the fact that they might kill a chicken or a goat, you know. Well, I mean, also up until rel- relatively recent times in history, um, blood sacrifice, animal sacrifice is very much the norm in right. every religion mm-hmm. all over the world. Yes, that is true. Even Christianity has a shedding of blood, although symbolically. But um, that is very true, life for life, or uh, sangre for sangre, blood for blood, if you will. Now, do you find that many people who come from an English-speaking cultural background have different ideas about spirits than those who come from a Spanish-speaking cultural background? Hmm. Oh, most definitely. I would most definitely say that. Most most um most people from an Anglo background one don't typically uh revere their ancestors. Uh don't typically revere the dead. The ones who do are witchy, so we'll just throw them on the witchy side of things. But the, I would say the average the average Anglo person does not. And usually it's because, you know, of your family traditions. You know, everyone, most most Anglos that I know, most most people from an Anglo tradition that I know, are um, they're usually some form of Christian. So they don't believe in the reincarnation. They they believe that when you die, you go either up or down, you know, and then that's that. You just hope mm-hmm. for the best after somebody dies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the exception of Catholics, which is why Catholicism was so good for me, because they do honor their dead. They do pray for their dead, you know, and then they pray to the saints, you know, who are also dead. So it's like, you know, when it comes to the, the, the synchronization of um, these beliefs, Catholicism, believe it or not, is the one who actually helped them to move forward by preserving those traditions and, and allowing those traditions to hide themselves within Catholic practices. It's actually pretty intriguing that that occurred the way that it did. Now, the more open-minded will approach, you know, will approach um, ancestor veneration or worship in a different way. And and usually I see that through people who are, you know, very spiritual, people who are very new agey, you know, they're they're about energies and light and love and and they're trying to find their, their place on the path. So they just want to embrace and love everybody and, and send out positivity and receive positivity. And that's, that's a beautiful thing as well. But usually along the, the way, they'll find themselves in the John Edwards section or the Sylvia Brown section, you know, when they're looking at, at um, you know, stories of mediumship and stories of, of uh, spirit contact. <clears throat> and a lot of people are very comfortable with, with that form of uh, veneration. You know, you just you meditate and you say prayers and then eventually – one day you you have a, a spiritual experience and you begin to develop your mediumship in that way. But there there are 
there are a lot of differences, I would say, between the two. The one thing that you can say about Espiritismo is it's very tangible. Our spirits are very tangible because we see them and we interact with them on a daily basis. We have special gatherings um, that we call a misa, which is a spiritual mass, <clears throat> where people will come together and we have, you know, we go through like a, a set um, group of prayers to call the good spirits and, and the color spirits down. And what makes it so tangible is our spirits will take possession of us. Our spirits will take possession of different mediums and give messages to the other people who are there at the Misa. And these will be people that you've never met before, but everything that they're telling you is 100% correct. But when the spirits come down and they take possession, their personality changes, their visage changes, everything about that person almost, you know that that's your friend or your acquaintance, but when that spirit takes possession, you see them completely differently because the personality and, and everything of that spirit that is taking possession <clears throat> completely overrides the person that they are possessing, will interact with us. They'll laugh with us, they'll joke with us, they'll dance with us, they'll drink with us, because, you know, they all want their rum. They'll cleanse us, you know, they'll, they'll spiritually cleanse us in certain ways, and we get to interact with our spirits just like we get to interact with the Orishas. The Orishas will do the same thing, will take possession of their <clears throat> of their children, of their initiates as well, and that's the practice of Santeria, which was the next the next set of, of my journey. But to us, it's very real. And I can see the appeal that these traditions have. You know, a lot of people who will go into, um, unless you're, a lot of people who are Christian, you know, everything with them is just, not everything, but there's a great deal of, you know, faith. You just have to have faith to believe that God is there. You just have to have faith to believe that he's hearing our prayers and blah, blah, blah. But for most intents and purposes, God, as as you know him through the Christian tradition, doesn't interact with you personally. Whereas in the traditions that I belong to, the spirits interact with us personally, tangibly, intimately. And no matter what we're going through in our lives, they're there for us, and they help make the impossible possible. And they help us find a way to cope with things that are beyond our control. And they give us an encouragement and an inspiration to continue forward and to keep going on and to keep moving forward and to keep expecting the best and to know that everything is going to be all right. But the wonderful thing about it is because they're so tangible and so real to family, we interact with them so intimately on a daily basis. They are our family. And they always will reaffirm or um, confirm either something somebody has said to us, another priest or another consultant, um, another spiritual consultant has said to us from different times past. <clears throat> For us, it's, it's very much a living tradition. What advice do you have for um, the spiritual seeker who is looking for more of that tangible, intimate spiritual experience, but maybe maybe they live in an area where they, they don't know how to connect with a, um, 
a community of practitioners there or, or you know, they're, they're in a situation where they're really just not sure where to begin. Well, um, the best way is send a request out to the universe, believe it or not. Send up a prayer. Send up a prayer. And ask God, ask your guides, ask the universe to provide to you the way to become involved because it is an initiatory religion. Somebody must represent you, so you, therefore you must have a godparent who's responsible for you. The second thing is <clears throat> don't just go online or don't just go to the store and buy books on the subject and read the books and think that you can practice this religion because you cannot for a lot of reasons. One, you don't have the secrets that belong to that knowledge so therefore, you don't have the proper uh, spiritual alignment that comes with initiation to work with those forces. The second is there's a lot of misinformation that is on the Internet, and there's a lot of misinformation in the book. Some of that is purposeful, and some of that is through ignorance. So there is a great deal of confusion that can come from somebody who wants to go into a spiritismo, who wants to go into one of these traditions, just by Internet and book research alone. What I might suggest <clears throat> is joining um, a Facebook uh, group because there are a lot of different Facebook groups on the different practices of the religion and getting a feel for it based upon your interactions with the, with the members of that online group and kind of judge their character and follow your intuition. If you If you get a good feeling from somebody in that group, then you reach out to them and you talk to them and, you know, maybe they may have they might have a resource for you. They may be able to redirect you to somebody or recommend somebody. There are a lot of areas to where these practices are not widely known, but I can tell you that in every major area, there is at least one practitioner. There's, there's, there's at least a, a group of practitioners in every major city. Some cities have a bigger community than others, but there's always going to be <clears throat> a group of legitimate practitioners in every major city. Now, believe it or not, we have and I wanted to take some time to talk about your fiction series. Tell oh. us about Shadowwood. <laughs> Shadowwood, uh, I have a, a very, very dear friend of mine who lives in Chicago. And um, he and I have been bouncing ideas around. He's, he is an author. He's already an author, and he has, uh, you know, a bunch of books out already. But he and I met on this online forum called Wattpad, W-A-T-T-P-A-D. And it's basically where, where amateur authors can go and, like, post their stories, and people can read them and comment on them and everything. And so my friend Derek and I, we've been, you know, we connected and, and we've become really good friends over the past about three years now. And he and I were just chit-chatting and, and, and BSing one night about different book ideas and, you know, and, and uh, we were talking a lot about pop culture and they're like, you know, you have all these, these shows like True Blood and, and, and Vampire Diaries and Twilight and... Um, Salem and the Magicians, you have like all of these pop cultural shows that talk about witchcraft, 
but none of them really are they're they're not gay themed they're they're not predominantly gay there's like maybe one gay character you know teen wolf even there's like maybe one gay character but it's predominantly heterosexual and one mm-hmm. of the things that we got to talking about is what would it have been like had we been teenagers and had we been exposed to that wonderful, fantastical world of magic and witchcraft that was given in a positive spin that's geared to the homosexual community? What would that have been like? So we began to bounce ideas around back and forth. And, and after about you know one or two months of just joking around about it, we began to solidify that, you know what, why don't we just kind of put our ideas down and Maybe we'll do like a short story or, or, or something and we'll put it on Wattpad and see what people, you know, have to say about that. So Derek being Derek decided to uh, just disappear from online for like nine days and he came back on nine days and says, I wrote book one. <laughs> it was untitled at the time. It was untitled at the time. He's like, I wrote book one for the past nine days. I've, I've been drinking coffee. And I just been typing and typing and typing. I'm like, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? So you know, he sent it to me, and of course, it's everything's choppy because it's like all of these concepts and everything. So I went in through and and kind of like you know put some filler in, added flow and consistency, and helped to redevelop some areas of the book. But that's basically how Shadowwood was was created. It was a way of of finding a way to create a positive uh, fantasy, if you will that would be, you know, comparable to what a lot of the young people are, you know, being exposed to so that, you know, somebody who is gay or lesbian or transgender or bisexual, any one of of the full gamut, because each one of these um, lifestyles is, is actually going to be in the entire book series. They will be represented in the entire book series in some way or fashion. Uh, we wanted to find a way of, of, you know, creating this this fantasy world that was going to be positive for you know youths everywhere, but also for those members who are predominantly um, heterosexual to find a way to kind of like introduce them, if you will, to the to the gay culture in a non-threatening kind of a way. Hmm. So I think it's I think it's a fun book. I think it's a fun story. Yeah, I've been yeah I've been enjoying book one and t- give us some um, real quick the synopsis of uh, the you know the pitch of what the book is about um, mm-hmm. for those listeners who haven't who are just hearing about it now for the first time. Mm-hmm. Basically, the uh, the main character is a guy by the name of Alex who ends up relocating from Florida to Pennsylvania, and um, Alex is your typical cynical, stubborn, you know, teenager. You know, he's half Colombian, so he has that Latin attitude that goes with it and that Latin passion that goes with it. But basically, he ends up relocating to a preparatory school or ends up relocating to Pennsylvania and being enrolled in a prep school where he's pretty much exposed to a world that exists but is you know, pretty much unknown to everyone else around him. And uh, he begins to realize that witches are real, that uh, vampires are real, that werewolves are real, that everything that goes bump in the night is literally real. It is not just a um, a fairy tale. And begins to uh, connect with a group of witches um, 
in the school and forms like this brotherhood with these with these four guys who happen to come from ancestral lines. They all come from an ancestral line of witches that trace their lineage back from before Salem. And each one of those families are bound together in a unique way uh, because of their family histories, their family ancestries. So they will always be together no matter what. These four These four families will always find a way of being anchored to each other in some way. However, what happens is uh, Alex doesn't realize that he is also from a line of ancestral witches because his parents don't practice witchcraft. He doesn't know anything about witchcraft. He's never heard of it or done anything with it. But yet since he started going to the school and started hanging out around him, his his abilities all of a sudden started to unfold. And different different things began to happen in his life that he couldn't control or that he couldn't explain uh, that's later explained through his uh, interaction with these uh, four guys, and they pretty much, you know, lead him and take them under take him under their wing, and he forms a very very close uh, friendship and a, a very explosive crush on on one of them, <laughs> or maybe two of them. I think he has a crush on two of them. One is definitely crushing on him, whereas he has a crush on the other. But it's 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 an interesting dynamic. And, you know, we throw in a little bit of drama to keep the, the momentum going. Uh, but book one is a great introduction to the series because it, it lets you know who the main characters are, how they relate to one another, their place in the storyline, and uh, you get a, a good um, dose of, of their personality as well. And um, for any of our listeners who are interested, uh, Shadowwood books one and two are both available on Amazon, and right. uh, book number three is coming out relatively soon. Yeah, I would say within the next few days. Uh, my co-author is going to kill me because I'm behind schedule. Uh, the third book <laughs> is Shadow Choices. So the first book is Shadow Wood, the second one is Shadow Choices, and then this book is Shadow Desires. So um, book three is going to be very steamy and very uh, – there's, there's a lot of romance in book three. And there's a little bit of romance um, in book two and some sports in book two. You know, it's, 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 it's got a good pace to it. It's got a really good pace to it. But book three will be out either on Christmas or just thereafter Christmas. And it will be available on Amazon. And then, okay. And then you also are working on a nonfiction project as well. Is that correct? That is correct. I have a uh, something I've been working on. Uh, that I plan to release in uh, the spring, so probably March or April of next year. And it's basically going to be a book on uh, spiritualism and a book on the different um, Afro-Caribbean practices and how they kind of all interrelate to one another. It's going to be like an introductory type of a book, but there will be other books that will be um, not necessarily how-to books, but kind of instructional that will teach you how to develop your mediumship, teach you how to develop your relationship with your guides. The little things that you can do here and there to, you know, to make things go a little smoother for you. So that's definitely in the works is a, uh, is a non-fictional series based on spirituality and witchcraft. Cool. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, I'll have to send you a copy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, it's about time to wrap up. 
Tom, thank you so okay. much for taking oh. the time and uh, chatting with me here today. And oh, uh, I hope you feel better. Thank you. And, <laughs> I hope you feel better company, as well. Because I kept, I'm, I'm glad you I'm, I'm glad you, you had a lot to say because I kept hitting the mute button so I could cough and sneeze and, <laughs> and all that. <laughs> well, I hope it was uh, I hope it was somewhat informative, um, you know. But of course, uh, I'm on I'm on Facebook. So if anyone has any questions, they're welcome to reach out to me on Facebook as well. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you again, and thank you everyone for tuning in. And I'm gonna play us out with um, Yule Spirit of Peace. Oh, lovely. Clear and crisp is the Yule night air, and the stars of the heavens look down. The clarion light of the full moon shines on the glistening snow on the ground. The Yule log blazes in the hearth, and the Yule feast is well underway. Goodwill prevails over all hearts, and the spirit of peace holds sway. Spirit of peace, in the still of the night, we all feel you at times like this when open hearts are filled with cheer and no part of our lives is amiss. So we praise you, Spirit of Peace, for all the blessings you give and ask you to help us remember all of the days that we live, that even in times of pain and strife, the Spirit of Peace is still there if we but remember to look within for your help with the burdens we bear. The Spirit of Peace will smooth all roads and she will make all things new. So, Spirit of Peace, we invoke you now and offer the thanks you are due. 